it's wrong to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true. RFM, how are you doing today? Bill Real, I'm so good. I'm so excited to see your smiling face, to be back with you again on Mormonism Live. You got it. Mormonism Live. Here we are. 44 people are already tuned in. We've got, I think, 320 people in the Facebook group. No, folks, those are not garments I'm wearing, but that's just a white uh, T-shirt. So uh, still looking the part, but uh, not intentionally, folks. Um, RFM, I'm just grateful for this chance. Here we are. I don't know what episode we're on, number eight or nine or something like that. Nine, I think. Um, but today, we wanted to point out uh, and have a conversation about the idea of miracles and I had sent you some links uh, some time ago. One was uh, Wendy Nelson. I think that's what started this conversation. And she was claiming a pretty, a pretty significant miracle in, in Mormonism. And we're going to get to that kind of as a, a big one kind of in the middle of this episode. And then I sent you a thing with Bednar. where uh, Apostle, Bill, Bill. Yes. Elder Bednar to you. I was going to get to that. Apostle of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. David Bednar, and he did a conversation in here in uh, just in January last month at BYU, and he had a conversation about miracles and specifically miracles around the Nauvoo Temple and the idea that you know temples are important, ordinances are essential, that God is always has his hand in helping us. Mm-hmm. And he goes into saying that essentially those same kinds of miracles happen today. And I should, I should say too, to the listening audience, do me one giant favor. Uh, we have some new audio equipment plugged in today. It just arrived from Amazon. We've got everything plugged in. I want to, I want to thank the listener who reached out to me and said, Hey, I think I've got an answer for your problem and uh, helped us solve that. He knows who he is. And I'm a little skeptical of whether everything will run smoothly but as of right now, I should have to push less buttons. Sound bites should play much more easily. And it should solve the problem, most importantly, RFM, of you being able to hear the callers, which you could, but they couldn't hear you. And that should solve this problem. So, folks, over the next episode or two, if you hear sound bites or uh, we're playing something up on the screen and the sound is distorted, not right, leveling isn't good, please say so in the comments. I'm watching all those as they happen. If the sound is good, then let me know that as well. I'm going to I'm gonna mute my mic for a second and call. Hopefully that didn't go through. Um, and so with that, uh, RFM, let me turn it over to you and get any thoughts from you before we start off with David Bednar claiming what he is saying is, you know, mighty miracles in 2020 uh, that he's talking about here in 2021 around the temple and you and I are going to take a listen to these with the audience. And we're going to see if these are as big and as significant as he seems to think. Yes. This is from his BYU talk given January 19th, 2021, technically called, I think a BYU devotional talk titled as long as the world shall stand. And he beginning at basically minute nine and thereafter, talks about um, these mighty miracles, or at least what he claims to be miracles that happened in the LDS church in recent history. In fact, just last November, and he's going to let everybody in on what was actually going on behind the scenes 
so that they too can marvel at the miracles that happened there. Um, what is going on, and I, I just wanted to go to the very end of his talk. You don't have to play the clip yet, but I want the audience to understand where he's going with this. At the end of his talk, he is going to say that sometimes people come up to him and ask, why is it that the miracles that happened in the early days of the church are not happening today in the church? And he says, I always tell them they are. So what he's doing right now, leading up to this, as he goes through this um, this enumeration of the miracles, is he is going to be leading up to saying that these miracles are just as great and as awesome as the miracles that we read about in early church history. So I think it's important for us to know that's coming so we can better evaluate his different list of miracles as he goes through them. Um, if you want to just go ahead and read or play, excuse me, his introduction before he gets to the list. He has a list of eight statements from people who are actually involved in these miracles. Elder Bedder was not involved. He's just a reporter of the miracles. Uh, play the introduction. We can make some comments. And then after each of these eight statements that he reads, we could make a few comments as well. And, and then hopefully. after his conclusion. Yeah. And hopefully you and I have, are thinking about the audio starting in the same place because this is the only audio I have. So let's roll with it and see what happens. But here is uh, Bednar from that talk. On November the 10th, 2020, government officials in a large jurisdiction announced that religious organizations should suspend all public gatherings and meetings. These restrictions were intended to help reduce the spread of COVID-19 and would be in effect for a minimum of three weeks and likely longer. The announcement included a three-day warning that all operations would cease by midnight on Friday, November the 13th. Because the temples had been closed for a period of time earlier in 2020, temple patrons, leaders, and workers were especially disappointed that ordinance work again would be halted. And given that only living ordinances were being performed by individual appointment, and with reduced capacity resulting from physical distancing and other safety protocols, scores of members had been waiting patiently for their turn to enter the temple to make sacred covenants through priesthood ordinances. The new restrictions would cause church members to face yet another heartaching delay of uncertain duration. Temple leaders and workers in one temple prayed earnestly for direction, counseled together, and sought inspiration from heaven. Answers came. The decision was made to keep the temple open around the clock on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to accommodate as many patrons as possible. The doors of the temple would remain open and the lights would not be turned off until midnight on Friday, the 13th of November. The tasks that needed to be completed seemed absolutely overwhelming. Some patrons would have to be contacted to confirm existing appointments. Other patrons with appointments scheduled after Friday the 13th would need to be informed about the temple closure and offered the opportunity to reschedule. Availability of temple workers would have to be evaluated so the extended hours of operation adequately could be covered. This is the most boring miracle I've ever heard so far. and sanitize the temple interior would need to be arranged. So many things to do and so, so little time so to get them done. The work began. 
Phone calls were made, emails were sent, text messages were delivered and answered. Volunteers were requested and they responded by the dozens. The temple doors opened early Wednesday morning and the lights were not turned off until midnight on Friday. I now want to share with you quotes from eight individuals. Is that good there? Is that, do you want to play more? Uh, actually, if you just go that far, that's fine. That gives uh, me plenty of stuff to talk about. I mean, he's going to say, I'm going to now read you eight quotes. And if you want to read that part, uh, play that part, that's fine too. Yeah, no, no, I, I can, we can use that as the intro to the first one. I, I just want to start us off by saying he's giving us the problem, right? First, he's telling us what he's going to tell us, then he's going to tell us, and then he's going to tell us what he told us, which is how a good talk is always given. And so he's lining up the problem and the problem being that they have a very small amount of time in which to do a lot of tasks that need to be done before uh, there is a shutdown due to COVID and they have to get everything in order, including getting the temple taken care of, getting uh, anybody who is set to have ordinances done in those three days to try to squeeze as many other people in as possible. And also for everybody who is scheduled at some later point when it's going to be closed to reach out to all of those folks and to let them know that things have to be rescheduled. And in the meantime, get all the volunteers you possibly can to help to do those three things. Am I nailing it? Yeah, it's not rocket science. No. And it also seems like, let's be honest, every big business at the time of these shutdowns was doing the same kinds of things. Uh, right? Like if you worked at IBM and they were shutting down, you also had to make arrangements and scramble and try to do very similar kinds of tasks within your corporation too. I, I don't see anything that's um, significantly unique to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in this issue. No, these are people working together to accomplish a goal under an unexpectedly shortened period of time. Yeah, yeah. Now, before we get to the next thing he reads, I just want to say something as I analyze what it is he's saying. What I look at a lot of times is what he's not saying. And what he's not saying is, what area was this where this shutdown was announced? Doesn't tell us where it is. I don't know if it's California or someplace else. California actually has six temples in it. Notice, though, what happens. If you pay really close attention, all the different mission presidents get together of all the different temples in this area, and they all pray for inspiration and inspiration comes. And now all of a sudden, without any announcement, Elder Bednar starts talking about only one temple that is kept open for 24 hours a day for three days. So apparently the inspiration came only to one mission president that this would be an idea that maybe they should do. But it, you, you can overlook that so easily, uh, mainly by falling asleep while he's talking. <laughs> The miracle is if you can stay awake long enough to hear the miracles that he's going to read. But uh, and now if you read this little part here, uh, there's never any names. There's no names of the temple. There's no name of mission presidents. When he gets to these statements, you'll find a decided lack of names or any identifying information contained anywhere in any of this. It is almost as if, Bill, it is almost as if Elder Bednar doesn't want anybody to have the opportunity to follow up on any of these stories. To verify them. Yeah. And as you pointed out, there is, let's just say there's eight different temples or maybe this more than that. I think, I think he did mention, does he mention like seven or eight that there's, I don't think he mentions a number. So there's multiple temples that are going through the same process, but by naming that and telling that as part of the story, he's also acknowledging that there are 
a number of other stories that for whatever reason, and we can speculate what the reasons are, he doesn't want to include. Right. Um, and we could give him the benefit of the doubt and say it's for the you know purpose of time. Um, but it also probably less dramatic stuff or the same kind of stuff happening. And again, I think the more the listener goes, I wonder what other people were doing at this time too. Were they also scrambling to try to get things in order? And, and I think the less worrying about that and focusing on just this one narrative uh, keeps his story sounding as faithful as possible. Mm -hmm. He's choosing his words very carefully, you can tell. And I yeah. think he's talking only about one temple because it only happened at one temple. But regardless, go ahead and talk about his, let it play the tape about his introduction of this, um, uh, his eight statements. Okay. I now want to share with you quotes from eight individuals who were involved in these remarkable experiences. Please excuse the lengthy quotations, but only firsthand descriptions can do justice to the events that occurred. Quote number one. Okay, if you can stop right there. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, okay? Because now he's got eight statements from eight different individuals, all right, who will remain nameless for whatever reason. I don't know why they would want to be nameless. I think he wants them to remain nameless. But here's the thing. In the normal course of events, Bill, if people had some kind of special experience at the temple or anywhere else, and they're still keeping a journal, which you're not really told that you got to keep anymore, like when I was your age, Bill, um, it would be written in a journal and it would be stored away on the shelf. And that would be the end of it. In the normal course of things, none of these statements would come to Elder Bednar's attention. Or, be, or come into his possession to read. So that makes me ask the question, how does he get these statements from these people in this temple in order to read them in this BYU devotional? And the answer has to be that they were solicited. Yeah, They were solicited either by Elder Bednar directly or indirectly, all right? And then the question becomes, okay, if they're being solicited, what, what is the language being used in that solicitation? Is he just saying, hey, just tell me what happened in the temple when you were there? Tell me about your experience. Or is he, knowing he's going to be giving a talk about miracles, or is he saying, tell me about the inspirational and miraculous things that happened while you were at the temple? And I think that when you hear these statements, you will see or hear that they seem to be responding to a solicitation of that sort. The second thing is this is that if you listen carefully, all these statements kind of sound the same. They all sound kind of individualized. You know how general conference talks all have the same kind of uh, sound with maybe one or two exceptions of maybe apostles who actually write their own talks. They all sound like they're written by a committee, uh, just like Elder Bednar's talk has sounded up to this point. Listen to these individual firsthand accounts and see if you don't think they sound just like everything else that Elder Bednar is saying. In other words, they seem to be written in Elder Bednar's vernacular. And on top of that, on top of that, these different eight witnesses seem to use very similar language in a lot of their statements. Hmm. Keep your ears peeled for the following. Countless hours. I'm just going to talk about countless hours. They spent countless hours doing this. We've got dozens of people for a three-day period. I think you can count the hours pretty easily. But countless hours is going to be used more than once. Smiling faces as well. The big miracle is going to be smiling faces all over the place. And we'll hear that a number of times. And then also hear the number of times when the 
equation is made between this experience and what happened at the Nauvoo Temple and all the people lining up to get their ordinances, their endowments before they were kicked out of Illinois. And uh, I got a feeling that was probably in the solicitation too, because it keeps coming up. So if you're ready, you can play the first one and we can make any comments we want at the end. And then we'll just roll on through. Did you have yeah. any way of like playing this maybe at uh, one and a half speed? Actually, I could if you think that's helpful. Yeah, let's do it. There's no need to punish our audience any more than we already do. Let me put it a little faster. And let me just say too, this whole narrative, as you're pointing out, these similarities reminds me a lot of the Brigham Young transfiguration. And what I mean by that is that John D. Lee, and I can't remember who the other person was, but I want to say Orson Hyde, but I don't think it was Orson Hyde. Um, who's the, who, when you did the episodes on the coup d'etat, yeah. uh, there's the gentleman who was essentially helping behind the scenes, allegedly mm. poison people and stuff. And, and he's the guy who's always part of the day nights. Oh, right. Well, I know who you're thinking of. And I think you're thinking of Hosea Stout. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was Orson Hyde, Orson. I believe, who said that he was there and saw this transfiguration yeah. occur on August 8th, 1844, if my memory serves, when the speech was given. And then the historical record gets checked and we find out that Orson Hyde actually wasn't even in town yeah. on that day. They're the very first two guys, John D. Lee and Orson Hyde. They're the first two to say they saw this thing and neither one of them are around when it occurs. But when you start to tell a story in groups of people, you, it doesn't take long before other people who did not experience that memory now have, in a sense, a false memory or some type of motivation to back up that story. Not, not in, for any bad reason or malicious reason. It's just normal, normal human psychology. Uh, so for that. Now, I push stop, so I want to make sure I get back to the exact same spot. So I might play a part of this over again, but here we go. Please excuse the lengthy quotations. But only first-hand descriptions Let me get to there can do justice that. to the events that occurred. And we'll see what justice they do. All right, here we go. Was that speeded up? No, this will. It will now. Okay. Part number one. When I started calling patrons Tuesday afternoon. He sounds like a three-year-old. I like Is that, that one and a half. Yeah, that's 1.35. You want to go one yeah. and a half? Maybe slower. Slower. Okay, we'll go one. Just play it regular. There's no reason that Here's one our audience should have to listen to it any easier than I did. No sweat. Here's one and a quarter. This should be good. Okay. Part number one. When I started calling patrons Tuesday afternoon, I completely expected to leave messages. Almost everyone answered their phone. To me, this was a miracle. Almost. Okay. Let me just say here, the, the temple, uh, COVID is hitting. I'm sure these folks knew that a shutdown was happening. These folks are volunteers at the temple. This is the temple staff. Um, it seems pretty understandable that these folks would have understood that call coming through on their cell phone. They would have saw the caller ID, you know, whatever it is, the Missouri temple, whatever temple it is, they would have saw the caller ID, understood the urgency of what's going on in the world. And they would have answered their phone because they would have, would have wanted to know if their assignments were still holding, if they still were going to serve in the temple next Wednesday, um, if help was needed. I mean, Mormons are good people. They like to help. I don't see anything out of the ordinary here um, in this concept. And I also should say by you pointing out that they don't tell you which temple this was, even if this really happened, the folks that it happened about have no opportunity to go, Hey, he's talking about us. Mm -hmm. Like they don't know. And if all, if all 10 temples have nothing like this happening, they just have to assume it's one of the other guys and there's no way to fact check it, which is, as you and I have been examining stories by elder Holland, 
stories by other general authorities, um, the one with the ship and the ensign on the ship and the waves coming up 40 foot. Um, when these kinds of stories are told in conference or in this kind of setting, you and I are skeptics right off the back to begin with. I just want to say people answering their phone at the beginning of a COVID crisis, knowing that their city is shutting down, their state is shutting down. It does seem reasonable that they might, I don't know, answer the phone. And that's the reasonable approach to it. It's not a miracle. Not unless you're going to redefine miracle the way that the church has redefined translation. Translation now is redefined to be anything other than translation. Miracle is now redefined to be anything other than a miracle. In fact, a miracle has been redefined to mean a coincidence and even not a remarkable one here. Um, by the way, when he calls this a miracle, that's part of the reason that I think that the solicitation to get these statements included the, uh, the, the request to have people describe the miracles they experienced, because otherwise, why would anybody call that a miracle? Why would they be talking about miracles in the first place? Yeah, no, I'm with you hundred percent. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Should we continue? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. When I started calling patrons Tuesday afternoon, I completely expected to leave messages. Sorry, up again. <clears throat> Almost everyone answered their phone. To me, this was a miracle. Okay. Almost all available time slots were filled in less than a day and a half. Sorry. Quote number two. Stop there. Notice the use of two almosts in that. Almost everybody was home and we filled up almost every available time slot. When you're portraying a miracle, the word almost can cover a lot of ground. And, and in fact, right, like it could be 20%, it could be 80%, almost leaves so much wiggle room. And really the idea is when you have a miracle, you want to be able to say everyone answered their phone. Mm -hmm. Everyone did this thing. Everyone saw this thing in the sky. But when you say like almost everyone, mm. uh, I don't know, maybe, you know? Okay. Number two. Quote number two. Office clerks and secretaries spent countless hours calling patrons oh, affected yes. by the closure to see if they would like to reschedule their appointments. Every time I walked by their desks, they were on the phone. When they hung up, they would have smiles on their faces as they filled the schedule with new appointments for ordinances to be performed throughout the night. I have never seen such dedication as these sisters work so hard to accommodate patrons in the work of the Lord. Quote number three. Okay, so there you've got You've got countless hours, you've got smiling faces, and you've got the tacit admission that it's all the women who are making the phone calls. Yeah. What's what's the miracle here in number two? What was the miracle? Uh, that uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why he went with all of these, because some of them are really, really, people, they're not even coincidence. There were lots of people and they were on phones. And they were working hard. Phone calls. And they were smiling. And smiling. That's smiles on their faces. Miracle number two. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Let's, should we go to number three? Please. In every aspect of this experience, the Lord's hand was evident. There was miracle after miracle, miracles in scheduling, miracles in obtaining necessary paperwork to have ordinances completed, miracles in having one available appointment time precisely at the only time a patron was able to come. I am convinced that we are only... I got to ask, like, okay, so there were some slots open and people needed the slots and they filled the slots, but he doesn't tell us how many times, like, was there two slots and people called? I mean, there, there is a rule scientifically to kind of figure out what is almost assuredly a coincidence. 
and what is a miracle. And yet he doesn't tell us that it happened 37 times. That would be pretty profound, right? If there were 37 slots open and 37 times when each of those slots, five minutes before they came due, uh, somebody walked into the temple and said, I need to do my endowment before the shutdown occurs. That would be miraculous. If it's two times or three times, I don't see the miracle. Right. And I think that uh, temples are generally open from like five in the morning to maybe nine at night, 10 at night. I, I, I don't know how late they're open, but uh, what they're going to do is they're going to keep them open from whenever they would have closed to whenever they would have opened. So that's an additional five, six, seven, seven or eight hours, right? That's what they're going to be doing for these three days. It would have been open the regular times anyway. They're going to add an additional um, slot there of eight hours. So what they're trying to do is trying to schedule people who weren't scheduled before into those eight hours. So what you're dealing with there is eight over a period of three days. Look, it's not countless hours. It's actually 24. I can count those hours, Bill. And you're talking about maybe uh, a few hundred people tops that they are scheduling in. Well, out of a few hundred people, maybe 200 people, possibly 300 people that they're scheduling in, the miracle here is that one of those people was scheduled in at the one time that they could have made it. And I don't know why they couldn't have made it any other time, but this is this is being this is one of his big miracles. There's going to be two out of this that he's going to emphasize at the end. This is one of them. So pay attention, folks. And we know it's a miracle because they use the word miracle like three or four times there in recounting it. Once again, getting back to my thought that this was solicited as tell us your miracle stories. Yeah. And I want to add to this, too. We don't get told how many people walked into the temple needing an ordinance and they were told that, hey, I'm sorry, we're full. We don't get that story. The other thing we don't get is whether any of these were, hey, we're full, but we'll rearrange some things. We'll stick another chair in the endowment room. We'll, you know, because I've seen that happen. I've seen endowment sessions that are so full because of a marriage and the people showing up that they pull out some foldable chairs and put them in the back and allow a couple additional people to sit in an endowment session. We also don't get told if that's part of what's going on as well. And just to have the right image, I mean, there's still spacing going on. So everybody's got to be at least six feet apart. It's not going to be packed right. during this three-day um, right. period. Right. There's a lot of extra space in these rooms. Yeah. I am convinced that we are only aware of a small portion of that which the Lord did to allow his children the opportunity to receive temple blessings. Because you see, that small part that we're aware of may not sound miraculous, but if we knew the whole story, we would be wowed. Yeah. No, we only get the bits and pieces that sound the most faithful, and they're not even that great. Yeah. But if we knew everything God knows then we would just be lining up to get baptized or in your case, rebaptized. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless your heart. Let's uh, <laughs> quote number four. As I arrived at the temple on Thursday morning around five o'clock, I saw ordinance workers who had served all night still smiling as they served. The most common theme that I heard from the workers was that this felt like Nauvoo when the saints needed to leave, but kept coming to the temple to receive their temple ordinances. And just like Nauvoo, I saw sacrifices made by people who love the Lord and who love the temple. One brother stayed at the temple day and night, not going home for three days. His service was invaluable and needed in so many ways. I saw sisters who serve in the office spend countless hours on the phone. Countless hours. Desirous to receive their ordinances. I saw older adults walk the halls of the temple after receiving their endowment with huge smiles on their faces. I saw the happy faces of couples sealed in the house of the Lord 
grateful they didn't need to wait for the temple to reopen. I saw missionaries come to the temple with their families, ready to be endowed with power from on high before embarking on their missions. I saw guests who had driven all night to attend the temple with her family. I witnessed a beautiful two-year-old girl surrounded by parents, grandparents, and other family members as they prepared to have her sealed to them for all eternity. But do you see any miracles happening? People, staff, and ordinance workers spend countless hours sanitizing, countless hours. keeping everyone safe during the pandemic. There were ordinance workers who had served all morning who volunteered to come back and work all night. I will never forget the dedication and kindness shown this week in the Lord's house. Quote number Okay, but no miracles. I didn't hear any miracles really other than people smiled and lots of hours went in. And one guy, one guy went 72 hours. No, he did not. He did not. No, he did not. He He, he slept at the temple. Yeah, he might have been there. They have beds at the temple, you know. And be honest, man, in in your most both feet in moment, Weren't you ready if the church needed you to? Weren't you ready to to be there for three days straight to do something if it needed to be done? Absolutely. What a great privilege. Sounds like a good privilege. The beds they have in the temple, I understand there's a basement in every temple and there's a little room in a corner with a bed. No, I'm just kidding about that part. But they they do have it sounded familiar. But they do have they do have, you know, like sleeping quarters for people to grab some some sleep when they need it. I mean, these are older people generally who are working there, and every now and then they need to knock off. A bedroom in the downstairs. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> let's let's proceed. Maybe yeah. we got some good te- a good miracle coming up in this next one. Okay, I, I'm sure it He's is. He's got to be leading up to something good. I know this. By the way, I think you're brilliant picking up on this similar rhetoric and vocabulary going on in each of these stories. And as you point out, if you were listening to this and he wasn't telling you he was moving on from story to story, you would just think this is Elder Bednar giving one of his talks. This is Elder Bednar talking. I have listened to this several times, and there's actually places where I think, is this Elder Bednar talking about the statement, or is it still the statement going? But all of this stuff is presented as just being statements in this section. It's going to be interesting to follow Elder Bednar over the next decade and see how many times he says smiling faces in countless hours. I know a James Taylor song he likes best. (laughs) Number five. What is inspiring to me are all the ordinance workers who came in droves at all hours of the day and night to make this happen along with the engineers, assistant recorders, and especially house cleaning crew, which I believe deserve the greatest praise. What a challenge they must have had. But not miraculous, right? Just a challenge. And it's a challenge that lots of people were facing at this moment. It's people working hard to get something done. I mean, it's great. It's wonderful. It's humans coming together to accomplish something that's meaningful to them. But it's not a miracle. No, it's not. Here we go. Let's keep going. Quote number six, one sister, a convert of one year. First, I just want, before I used to finish, starts going, how many of these quotes, he says he's got eight quotes and you're, yeah. and you're preparing yourself. If you're a kid sitting at BYU, you're 20 years old and you're taking college courses and you're listening to this talk, you think like, oh, there's eight quotes. There's going to be eight miracles. Boom, boom, boom. How many of these quotes are completely not miraculous at all? And, and then the ones, of course, as we're going to talk about, the ones that are pointed as being miraculous really aren't that miraculous, but even, even some of the eight quotes, he's not even claiming they're miraculous. They're just people putting hours in serving the Lord, which people have always done in lots of different churches and certainly have done in Mormonism. Yes. Now, from our point of view, that would be a miracle, but really as a faithful Mormon, it's not. It's what you do. It's your joy. It's your pleasure. And you do it when you're called upon to do it. 
It's great. It's wonderful. Just not miraculous. Sure. By the way, number six. Push along. I was thinking, uh, doing good is a pleasure, a joy beyond measure. There's a whole section of songs in the hymn book about how we Mormons are supposed to give our time, energy, resources to the building up of the kingdom of God. I hope that sounded familiar. It did. There's even an oath we take in the temple about that. Yeah. <laughs> Here's number six. I'm going to let everybody know. This is it. It's not going to get any better than number six. This so listen carefully. One. This is the best one. The first one was uh, the person who got called and they came in to the temple for whatever ordinance they were doing at the only time that they could do it. That's one, but that's close. That's close to number one. That's number two. This is going to be number one. Pay attention. We'll talk about it afterward. Quote number six. One sister, a convert of one year, received her endowment. She was so full of joy that the warmth and love she brought was felt by everyone. She was accompanied in the temple by her bishop, her Relief Society president, her stake president, by a few other friends, and by the two sister missionaries who taught her, both of whom had since been released from their missions. One of the very few ordinance workers serving in the temple for this session was someone close to the sister, but who did not know of the appointment. When the sister receiving her endowment saw this ordinance worker, she said, I prayed you would be here today. That's Are it. you convinced yet, Bill? That's it. Somebody was at he's the going temple. To, he's going to the next story now. That's it for number six. Somebody was at the temple that another person hoped would be there. And get this. Hold on. Get this. They were there. They were there. I prayed you would be here, and God answered my prayer. Now, if we approach this, uh, hopefully, logically, I'll try and do my best to, to do my Sherlock Holmes, okay? We've got a gal who, according to the story... All right. She's got scads of people coming to the temple for her endowment. He let it slip. It was a session. So it's an endowment, right? It's a year later. So this gal baptized a year before coming to the temple for endowment. That's great. She brings her bishop. She brings her stake president. She brings her Relief Society president. She brings several friends and she brings the two sister missionaries who baptized her. Well, excuse me, who taught her before the guys baptized her, but who were instrumental in her baptism, right? Even right. though they've already gone home from their missions and God only knows where they are in the United States. So what we, okay, so we know that much. We can deduce, Watson. What we can deduce from that is that those people didn't show up there magically, but that she actually called them and invited them to her endowment session. So this girl, whoever she is, knows how to pick up a phone and call people and invite them if she really wants them to be present which she did and which many people showed up. Apparently one person that she did not uh, think highly enough or important enough to call and invite to the session was this temple worker who ended up being in her session. So when, when she is reported as saying, oh, I prayed you would be here, my response is, well, if you wanted her to be here that bad, why didn't you just invite her? <laughs> and let me add another little thought here, which is, as I was an active, believing Latter-day Saint, I would go to the temple, and we went to, and we were in Ohio, so Columbus was two, two and a half hours away, Columbus Temple from my home, um, but before Columbus, we had to go to Toronto, we went to Chicago, we went to Washington, D.C. one year, we, we traveled to get to a temple. It never failed when we went into the temple, my father-in-law, or later on in years, me, my father-in-law would see somebody at the temple that he hadn't seen in forever. 
and they just so happen to be there. And we'd always do this thing, you know, it's a small world, right? Like, like you run into people and you don't realize these connections that we humans have with other humans. And it's that six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing. But whenever we go places like, oh, I ran into somebody today. Isn't that kind of cool? But mm-hmm. instead, in this particular instance, it gets labeled a miracle. And as you point out, um, we don't what we don't know. Well, I should say this. What you point out is that she wasn't invited. She happens to be there anyway. We don't know if another sister that was invited tells her. We don't know if there's good reason why she's there. Maybe she signed up two months earlier for that to be part of that endowment. Um, we don't know. But because he doesn't tell us which temple and which people, we don't get a chance to fact check it either. So if you're a young girl, you show up for your endowment and you've got all these friends and people from your church that you invited to come and they're with you. And you're in the same room and you see this lady who knows you from church and you didn't invite her. How do you cover that up, Bill? You say that you prayed that she would be here today. <laughs> and then she is. It's By the way, crazy. here's another thing. Where in any endowment session that you have ever been in, Bill, is there an opportunity for a person who's there for their endowment to actually talk to one of the temple workers? The, the only time I get to talk to anybody is some guy's arm is through the veil and I get to whisper things into his ear. Okay. Okay. So there is an opportunity to talk, but where is there an opportunity to say, I prayed you would be here. I'm not sure. You would be disruptive to the prayer circle if you did it then. You probably aren't doing it unless you're sitting right next to them. And like you said, you if you're sitting right next to them, you got to come up with a reason for why you didn't invite them, why your 22 other friends are all around. So the only thing you have left is, oh, I, I, I forgot to tell you, but I prayed you'd be here. And there they are. Yeah, this lady's a temple worker. They're up in the front, as you know. You know, and so she's got to go through the veil. She's gone through the celestial room. Then she's ushered out. There's no opportunity to say anything to any of the temple workers other than the prescribed um, the script. So I don't know if they were supposed to meet up in the locker room coincidentally afterward. And that's when she told her we're not given those in those details, but we probably beat this horse enough. What do you think? Well, it is the it's the number one miracle in this talk. He's going to be relying heavily on this one in the summation. Yeah, yeah. Now I got to figure out where we were again. Let's try, let's try here. When the sister receiving her endowment oh, saw oh. this ordinance worker, she said, I prayed you would be here today. Man, he does, he does that with like effect too. I prayed that you would be here today. Yeah. It's even more awesome just uh, at regular speed. <laughs> yeah, because that was faster. <laughs> yeah. Quote number seven. There are many challenges and experiences we face in life and sometimes wonder if we are or ever do enough. Some of them are once in a lifetime that we read about or hear that someone else has experienced. Serving in the temple during the middle of the night as the Nauvoo pioneers of old was one of those treasured once in a lifetime opportunities. Our entire shift was in awe of the light that shone in the eyes of the patrons that came and their gratitude and touched by the sacrifice and the privilege it was for us as workers to serve them in this way. Quote number eight. By the way, okay. number seven is miracle free. There's, there's not even a coincidence in there. I was going to ask you, what is the miracle number seven? There wasn't a there's, miracle in four or five either. I don't, and I, I think three was sketchy. Two didn't yeah. really have much. And one was kind of, you know, I guess I'll give him that one as a freebie, but he's <laughs> padding his talk. I have no idea. 
there's all these quotes and these are the miracles he's going to, he tells you, he's going to share miracles with you. Right. And this is why I want to tell everybody what he's going to say at the end. So you can understand how weak and thin this gruel is. <laughs> there's, there's not much left in this thing. Is there not a lot hmm. of gas in the tank? No, that was number seven. Now we got number eight. This is the last one. So listen carefully. Here we go. I have compared my feelings towards receiving my endowment to the early saints who refused to just let the Nauvoo Temple close down before they fled west. They knew and understood the importance of the sacred ordinances that took place inside. I have felt how these pioneers felt. I knew that if I were a saint then, I would have stood outside of the temple waiting to make those eternal covenants. I understood how they felt. I understood the feeling of longing and urgency. I got to be one of those pioneers. I not only had the opportunity to make sacred covenants and receive sacred knowledge and blessings, but I got to be a part of history. I am extremely grateful for the Lord and the miracles and tender mercies he has blessed me with. Where was, what was the miracle there? No miracle, not even a coincidence. But he's a person who is grateful for the opportunity to be doing that. That's yeah, he great. Had for miracles. He was grateful for the miracles. Um, but there weren't any miracles in that one either. Yes. You know you're truly grateful when you're grateful for things that you don't receive. <laughs> what what deeper degree of gratitude could you have? None. Especially when you're responding to a solicitation to send a miracle story to Elder Bednar to read in a BYU devotional. Yeah, I can. I mean, I, are these the only eight he got? This, this is it. That's it. There's nothing else. This, this is, is the eight he the eight he presents. He must have gotten more. Imagine how bad the other ones were that didn't even make the cut. Yeah, and and we're already we're already about forty five minutes in. I think. Do you? I know. By the way, I've got to bring I got to bring this up. This should go without saying. Please. This is Elder Bednar's A game. It doesn't get any better than this. He's had He's, a year to write this thing. Well, since November. Okay, well, November. I'm sorry, but he's had, okay. he's had some time, obviously, to write this. He's had time to accumulate, to gather in all the all the miraculous miracles that 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 occurred, and and we got this. This is as good as it gets. He has nothing better under the category of miracles to tell the audience because I guarantee you, if he did, he'd be talking about them. And I think that's significant as well. Now listen to this incredible summation as he talks about the significance of all the miracles that he's just recounted in these eight statements. Which is that a lady was where someone wanted her to be, but didn't expect her to be there. She prayed her there, Bill. Listen. Okay, here we go. Okay. The Prophet Mormon posed the following powerful questions. Has the day of miracles ceased? Or have angels ceased to appear unto the children of men? Or has he withheld the power of the Holy Ghost from them? Or will he, so long as time shall last, or the earth shall stand, or there shall be one man upon the face thereof to be saved? Behold, I say unto you, nay. For it is by faith that miracles are wrought, and it is by faith that angels appear and minister unto men. Occasionally, I am asked by church members why we do not have mighty miracles today like those that occurred in the early days of the Restoration. And my answer always is the same. We do. <laughs> the faithful Excuse events in Nauvoo me. in February of 1846 and in North America in November of 2020 are stunningly similar. 
Perhaps such a mighty miracle occurred for the temple secretary and the church member who were able to schedule an appointment in an almost completely filled schedule for the precise and only time that patron was able to come to the temple. He right there seems to indicate it happened once. Oh, it only was once. Only one. I'm not talking about where someone appeared, but where there's a session open. There's, yeah. a, there's a session open and somebody walks in. And I don't think they walk in. They're on the phone. Okay. And now I've got a session open for you. Here you go. Yeah. Those sisters are on the phone and they're trying to reschedule these guys, these people in. One time. Yes. Uno. There's one time that that happens. And he says, perhaps it was a miracle win. <laughs> uh, and I was going to say the I same language again. Let's say that again. We'll say the same thing again with this next one. Yeah. But he's only got two. Pulse has not ceased. Perhaps such a mighty miracle occurred for the recent convert who was delighted to discover in her live endowment session an ordinance worker who was very close to her, but who did not know about the appointment. Wait, I, uh, she's an ordinance worker, which means she was scheduled to be there anyway, right? Yeah, she's scheduled to be there. I think the miracle, to try and give it its best reading, and it's not that great, is that she's there working like she's supposed to on her shift. And this other gal that she knows from church uh, shows up for her endowment. Uh, the worker, the lady worker had not been invited, but the gal who shows up with her entourage, she's like a Kardashian showing up for her endowment in the temple. She says, oh, I didn't invite you, but I prayed that you would be here. But she was a worker, so she was not invited by this lady, but she did have an agreement with the temple to be there and to work and to volunteer and serve, right? Yeah, it wasn't really unusual that she would be at the temple, the worker. No, it wasn't unusual. That's that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it was an right. it was a, it was a usual miracle. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna get to the end of this because we got bigger and better things to slice and dice on this one. Okay. You would be here today. The day that of sure miracles was. has not ceased. The mighty miracles in our lives are exactly the same today as they always have been for devoted disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I sure as hell hope not. I hope that the early restorations got some better shit than this, because if this is the same degree of miracles that we experienced in the early years of the church, there's no wonder we had to create faith-promoting false fictional stories uh, like John Taylor getting shot in the, in the watch blocking the bullet or uh, Elsa Johnson having her arm raised, or people being healed of cholera in Nauvoo, or angels above the Kirtland Temple. Mm -hmm. um, you name them. Because I hope we have better stuff than what just what Elder Bednar just talked about. Well, we do. And, and uh, th that's the disparity and the difficulty that Elder Bednar is faced with. And he obviously recognizes it. First off, members recognize it. He says that members come up to him and ask him this question. How come you don't got miracles today like they did in the early days of the church? There's a disparity. Now, Elder Bednar and the leadership of the church could do different things. They could say, well, we do and just totally lie their ass off. Excuse me totally lie and make up stuff, right? It seems they have an aversion to doing that, to, to lie to make up stuff. They could say, well, the day of miracles is past and that was for that day and now we don't have miracles anymore. I think we can understand why it is that they don't want to go there because yeah. that's what they've been accusing apostate Christianity of doing ever since this church was founded, right? Yeah. So and what they do is, what? Just, just a note too, if he did talk about really like mighty miracles, my guess is that Mormon discussion, Radio Free Mormon, 
would then do a follow-up podcast as we've done in the past with folks like Elder Holland telling stories about meeting the two missionary or sending the missionary out and he's meeting his brother and coming across the two dogs and how that story was oh. a, a, a bunch of bull crap. And so these guys know they can't just make up stories and assign um, details to them that sound too incredible because then podcasts get done and those get deconstructed too. Well, there is that as well. Yeah, it is open to greater scrutiny nowadays than it has been in the past. You're right. But so what they have decided to do, as is evidenced by the record, and Elder Bednar is just one example among many, is in the last several decades, they have dumbed down miracles to coincidences. Coincidences are the new miracles. And in an act of unmitigated chutzpah, Elder Bednar says that the coincidences, the, frankly, lame coincidences he's just recounted only two of which really in all eight statements these are exactly as miraculous as god and jesus appearing to joseph smith in the sacred grove look at the comment here facebook user bible miracle a man is raised from the dead mormon miracle modern mormon miracle people answer the phone <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one now if there's dead people answering the phone we'd have something we'd have something but that doesn't happen yeah. You know, one of the stories I always wanted to go back and have a conversation with you about was the one where Elder Ballard's grandfather gets the newspaper from England like two days after it's published and he and he's told all the genealogy work that needs to be done. Yeah. And deep down, I think you and I both know that that story didn't happen the way it was said it happened. It would seem unlikely. It does. It would be a miracle for that to happen. It would. That would be a miracle. So there's that. Um what, do you want to just jump right into the Wendy Nelson thing, or do you want to put a little bumper here in the middle of some other content? That well, do you, you have the, the link I sent you, which has the audio from a general conference talk? And this is just, um, you know, it's 613. This is like four minutes long. It's President Iring, so, you know, it's always worth watching. Uh, he tends to be somewhat lacrimose in his delivery, and he doesn't fail uh, us in this regard here. But he tells us uh, the most uninteresting, uh, well, maybe mildly interesting coincidence of his stumbling across a newspaper article when he's reading the paper at the morning breakfast table. And then he specifically says that this was a miracle just as significant as Moses parting the Red Sea. And this is the same kind of thing that we're getting from Elder Bednar, except this is in space. Do you have that video? Is this the October 2011 it is. It's called A Witness. That's the name of his talk. This and do you have the timestamp? 427 is what you've got listed. Yeah. So I think, give me a second, and I can put this up on. I would love to have some video of. Yes. So uh, here we go. Let's see how this plays. All right. I was once invited to speak at graduation services at a university. The president had wanted President Gordon B. Hinckley to be invited but found that he was unavailable. So, by default, I got the invitation. <laughs> I was then a junior member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. The person who invited me to speak became anxious as she learned more about my obligations as an apostle. She called me on the phone and said that she now understood that my duty was to be a witness of Jesus Christ. In very firm tones, she told me, though I could not do that when I spoke there. She explained that the university respected people of all religious beliefs, including those who denied the existence of a God. She repeated, 
you cannot fulfill your duty. You knew here. it was coming. I'm only being emotional because I was emotional when I heard that. You cannot fulfill your duty here. I hung up the phone with. He was, hold on. He was only emotional because he was emotional there. I, I'm, I've seen Elder Eyring give about 300 talks, and I haven't seen one where he doesn't cry. You're muted. You're muted, my friend. I say no, that's because there is none. Um, here's the deal. Notice wrapped up in this whole story is the fact that this lady tells him sternly, you're an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I know it's your duty to bear testimony of Jesus, but I don't want you to do that here. And he listens to her. He's not going to bear his testimony of Jesus Christ, even though he's an apostle. So this is very interesting how this plays out. But there's a miracle in store that's going to allow him to get a good word in for Jesus in this talk anyway. Serious questions in my mind. Should I tell the university that I would not keep my agreement to speak? It was only two weeks before the event. My appearance there had been announced. What effect would my failing to keep my agreement have on the good name of the church? I prayed to know what God would have me do. The answer came in a surprising way to me. I realized that the examples of Nephi, Abinadi, Alma, Amalek, and the sons of Mosiah had become what I was. They were bold witnesses of Jesus Christ in the face of deadly peril. So the only choice to be made was how to prepare. I dug into everything I could learn about the university. As the day of the talk grew closer, my anxiety rose and my prayers intensified. Miracles coming. Like the Red Sea parting, I found a news article. That university had been honored for doing what the church has learned to do in our humanitarian efforts across the world. And so in my talk, I described what we and they had done to lift people in great need. I said that I knew that Jesus Christ was the source of the blessings that had come into the lives of those we and they had served. After the meeting, the audience rose to applaud, which seems a little unusual to me. <laughs> I was amazed, but still a little anxious. I remembered what happened to Abinadi. <laughs> Only Alma had accepted his witness. But that night, at a large formal dinner, I heard the university president say that in my talk, he heard the words of God. Now, such a miraculous deliverance is rare in my experience as a witness. You can cut it there. By the way, so it's not only a miracle like the Red Sea. I'm reading this newspaper article. He calls it a miraculous deliverance. And this kind of incredible miraculous deliverance that he experienced is rare as far as he's concerned. That's how far miracles have fallen. By the way, you know why he described uh, happening upon that article as like parting of the Red Sea? Why? Well, you know it's uh, black and white and red all over, right? What's black and white and red all over? The newspaper. Yeah, and that's what he's reading. Pretty mundane. <laughs> there was a newspaper article. 
Ready. The miracle was mundane. The joke was mundane. Okay. No, I get it. Um, all right. So anything else? Uh, do you want to jump right into this, Wendy Nelson? Or do you have something from Wendy you no, want to share? That's 2011. By the way, before we get to Wendy, okay. I mean, we're going to talk about Wendy, but as a setup, because she did this interview with Sherry Dew, where she talks about another miracle that her husband does, because he's he does miracles every day, uh, 24-7. President Nelson does miracles for Wendy. But I wanted you to play the clip. It's only about a minute long. From her talk, January 2016, this is at the Young Adult Devotional from Hawaii. She's speaking right before her husband's going to get up and announce that the 2015 policy was a revelation. Everybody remembers that. Not so many people remember what she says in her um, talk right before it. Do you have the, the video yeah, of that? The timestamp on that looks like maybe it's 9.05 to 10.08. Yeah, I think that's right. Let me Do you have the video? Oh, I hope so. I, I want to see Wendy. 9.05 to 10.08. He makes at least $120,000 base pay, Rolf. Here she is. At least. Um, here we go. Into our true selves, my dear brothers and sisters whom I love, the reality is that someday you and I will each have an individual face-to-face -face interview with the Savior himself. When this eventuality becomes real to us, we will be willing to do whatever it takes to be prepared. So now a question as I conclude. Listen up. What if you learned that the Savior had already returned to this earth? That he, as part of his second coming, had already met with some of his true followers in several marvelous large gatherings. Gatherings about which the world, including CNN and the blogosphere, knew nothing. If you found out that the Savior was already on the earth, what would you desperately want to do today? And what would you be willing and ready to do tomorrow? That's it. I what did she say in there, Bill? Where do you take it from that? What, what if I told you, what if I told you that... Buddha lives in my bedroom and he eats peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. What if I told you that? I would say you're nuts. <laughs> she's, she's trying to plant the idea that I'm not going to tell you that Jesus has showed up, but what if like, maybe then what would you do? Maybe like, what if it's, it's playing on the need for everybody in that audience to want to hear that divine messengers show up. Yeah. Without and and give people the idea that divine messengers show up, Jesus himself, and but without actually having to lie and say that he showed up when he hasn't. Right. She's trying to give the impression to the audience. She's studiously, diligently trying to give the impression to the audience that Jesus has shown up to her husband, to other groups of people, multiple groups, even large groups. CNN doesn't know about it. The news doesn't know about it. It's on Facebook, but it's happening. It's happening now. And that means that this second coming is right around the corner. It's a big part of her talk. And so you need to desperately get your life in order and be who it is that you need to be. And if you look at the other part of her talk, that means not homosexual. You need to be who you're supposed to be, right? So this is Wendy, all right? She is in a neck and neck competition with Elder Holland for who has the biggest gift of Blarney when it comes to tall tales. And this is just one example of it. And now that sets the stage. For what she says, just last month, January of 2011, by the way, I don't know if anybody mentioned this, tonight is February 3rd, 
2021, I think I said 11. This is last month, January 2021, when she's being interviewed by her good friend, possibly her good, good friend, but at least her good friend. Allegedly. (laughs) Sherry do. Yeah. So they have this conversation. Actually, I can throw, I can throw this up on the, let's see here. Let me move this and let me put up, um, Give me just a second here to kind of finagle a few things. But there is this talk. Uh, this was in the uh, three takeaways. This was the LDS um, uh, LDS Living Magazine. Three takeaways from a recent podcast episode where Sister Nelson was interviewed by Sister Sherry Dew. Don't, it, and these two are so good friends. I mean, they do. We do know for 100% sure. This isn't allegedly. They, they, they have often for many years kind of stayed together on vacations and hung out together. They really are good friends. And again, allegedly maybe really, really good friends. Um, But they have this conversation and it feels like there's these off the cuff questions, but these two are such good friends. It would be strange if they didn't have some type of collaboration behind the scenes to figure out how to, to write this conversation. Yeah, listen to the story that she tells that proves that President Nelson, her husband, is indeed a prophet. And um, just listen to it and see if you're as impressed with it as I am. Yeah, so here, let me enlarge this up, and here we go. Okay, your husband has now been president of the church for three years. You traveled, of course, widely with him before then uh, for a number of years, but it's different when your husband becomes president of the church, it's different traveling with the president of the church than it is with even your husband as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. During the last three years, you've been to more than 30 countries. I think it's in the neighborhood of 35 countries. You've seen large, large audiences and very small ones in some places where he's chosen to go that where the church is young. What have you learned, particularly in this last three years, that has been somewhat distinctive from the earlier years when you were traveling with your husband? What have you learned about the church? What have you learned about people? So let's just refine that to say, since this last year was no travel. Right. We're already talking about 35 countries and 14 Uh states in two years. That's what we're talking about. And let me just say one other thing about this year of no travel. Imagine this, exactly a year ago, December 2019, I looked at our 2020 calendar where we would be going, where we were traveling, and looked from January through July. Every single month, there was a huge trip and arenas, huge arenas booked. And I thought, okay, well, this is what we'll do. And I knew that in between those, there was at least one huge trip a month that in between, we would be doing local opportunities to be with our local congregations. So imagine, there I am, I'm sort of got my whole head set into, this is how it's going to be 2020. And suddenly in early January, I looked on the calendar again, and everything's gone, meaning all those trips were gone. So this is early January. This is pre-COVID. This is pre-COVID. And I said, I said, I said, how? Where did those trips go? And he said, I just felt like we didn't need to do them. I just felt like I should take those off the calendar. So there is a prophet on the land. His name is Russell Marion Nelson. So that's just a little context there. That's it. Yeah, that's that's it. So um, 
Are you having trouble believing that story? Yeah, let me tell you. I'm having a little trouble. Yeah, you had some issues you picked out about it. Let me tell you the ones I picked out. So when I sent you this story, I said, I don't believe this, RFM, and here's why. The whenever these major arenas are renting themselves out to uh, groups of people, there is deposits that are required. I'm I, I gotta guarantee this. There's deposits that are required. There are cancellation rules and regulations to uh, just calling them up and saying, "Hey, I know we I know we told you we wanted to, you know, take up uh, you know whatever stadium or." conference center or um, basketball arena or some type of arena. Cause she talks about these huge arenas were booked. That's her words. When you book big places like that, they can't take the risk that you're just not going to show up on that day. They can't take the risk that, that things are going to fall through. And so one, you put a deposit down Two, when you cancel, there has to be some kind of penalty. Now they're talking about an entire time period worth of these arenas being booked multiple arenas and then they just canceled them just didn't feel like going didn't feel like going now i can't believe for the life of me that the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints was able to cancel all of these events at big arenas huge arenas her words booked and cancel those things without charges and fees without penalties, without losing your deposit. There's airfare that had to be booked. There is um, people's schedules that had to be crossed out so that they would be available for these kinds of events. I'm just not buying it. And and, and I'll ask, dear Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if you'd like to tell us which arenas and you'd like to tell us what dates, RFM and I will be happy to sit down. You and I could split the phone calls up, right? Yep. We'll make some phone calls. We would love to call these arenas, ask them if this, this story is true, allow these guys to explain that, yes, these guys did book the arenas. Yes, they put a deposit. But in all 37 cases, we were willing to just give them their deposit back and allow it to be canceled pre-COVID. Right. That's the key. It doesn't make any sense to me. So I see this story as absolute bullshit. I'm calling it now. And if the church would like to, you know, tell me the data so that we can make some phone calls, RFM, you and I will spend a Saturday afternoon or a Friday morning uh, calling all of these places and seeing if there's any truth to this story at all. But you and I are pretty good at spotting when bullshit is out there. And this, this, my friend, is bullshit if I've ever heard it. Can I read you a comment that was made uh, by a listener? I hope it's okay to use her name. She posts under this name, so I guess, you know, it's a public post. This is Martine uh, Derek Smith. And I think I'm pronouncing, I hope I'm pronouncing that middle name correctly. She says, um, uh, this is a super low bar for a miracle, right? And a huge amount of fudging. And she says, and the other F word from Wendy, I'm not sure what that is, but she says, he got the impression he should cancel all our travels. And... She says, <laughs> F you said God. Anyway, what she's saying is, uh, God, come follow me in home church. Here's the, here's the point I want to get to. So many holes in her narrative. Did he tell the rest of the Q15? We don't know. Yeah. Did they cancel their church travels? What did they say to the area presidencies who were planning state conferences, mission conferences, and other meetings with local leaders? 
Did the news travel down the priesthood chain or did it stop with President Nelson and everyone else was left to scramble? Yeah. I mean, Wendy, Wendy that, Nelson lives with this guy. He, they are married. They do have a marital relationship. One would expect they communicate to some degree to each other. And yet what she's saying is that President Nelson just decides that he's going to cancel all of their trips for the first half of 2021, which have already been booked in these big arenas. And he's not even going to tell her about it. Yeah. When, when they called all these arenas to cancel, would it be a miracle if everybody answered the phone? You were waiting until I took a drink to do that. Did. It that was, was an absolute miracle. Everybody answered the phone at the arena mm, that's when what they called up to cancel. Yeah. No, this is this story never happened. There, and nothing even remotely like this story. And by the way, by the way, even if the story did happen the way it said it happened, okay, first off, we have to take into account what President Nelson said in the very first 40 seconds of his very first talk in the very first session of April 2, 2021 General Conference, right? Because this is the first general conference after this story in January that Wendy's relating. Could you have that tape there for the first 40 seconds of what he said there? I sent you that link. Uh, let me look here. So say it's what April, am I looking for it's again? April, it's April 2020 general conference. And it's, um, let's see here. It's right there where it says. Uh, um, Wendy Nelson's second story. Uh, Wendy Nelson's second story. Second Wendy Nelson clip. It's the one that's right above that. See where it says timestamp 0.00 0.00? Yeah, yeah, I got that. Let me... Here, would you play those first 40 seconds of President Nelson's talk three months after Wendy Nelson says that he canceled all of their trips? Okay, let me pull it up onto the screen here. Good, I want to see his face. Yeah, let me move that back to zero and... My beloved brothers and sisters, as we welcome you to this historic April 2020 General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For reasons you know, I stand before you in an empty auditorium. Little did I know when I promised you at the October 2019 General Conference that this April conference would be memorable and unforgettable as speaking to a visible congregation of fewer than 10 people would make this conference so memorable and unforgettable for me. There you go. That's the 40 seconds. His very first comments, he said, I had no clue this was coming. Yeah, he, he had no idea. No, there were members who were trying to make a big deal out of his saying in October of uh, 2019, next conference is going to be so memorable. because and, and they don't have conference. I mean, nobody gets to attend. It's all done by broadcast. And that's what he meant. Oh my gosh, he's a this prophet. This is the one where Oaks and Nelson were. Yeah. This not, is where. Not doing the same rhythm, you know what I mean? And This is where we're asking what Elder Oaks did with all the money his mama gave him for dancing lessons. If, if President Nelson had received inspiration to cancel all of their events, wouldn't this be a really good moment to say that? Mm. No, this would be it. Now it's time. And he didn't even know. He had no clue this was going to happen. He had no clue. The best we can do, the best we can do with this to try and make it fit uh, Wendy Nelson's story is to say that, um, okay, President Nelson did not know that COVID was coming, but God whispered to him, not that COVID was coming, but you just need to cancel all your events for the first half of 2020. 2020. That's the only way we can harmonize these. But the problem is, is that 
God in this situation has to either tell President Nelson everything or he just needs to shut the hell up because those are the only two ways that God can come out looking even modestly respectable in this. If he doesn't say anything, okay, well, we'll, we'll give him a pass. If he tells President Nelson there's COVID coming, that's great. So President Nelson can warn everybody. But if God just sort of, you know, goofs around and he knows that COVID's coming, he's God for crying out loud, he's behind it, just sort of gives a little nudge to President Nelson and say, hey, he goes, Psst, hey, bud, you might want to cancel all your, your appointments and your speaking engagements and the arenas for the first half of 2020. I'm not going to tell you why. I just think it might be a good idea, you know. And, and any information God adds in to give context to why he's whispering this might have the potential to save lives. Yeah. It might. The only way this makes sense is if the church could, you know, if there's some argument that they save money doing this, I, I don't see, I don't see any, I don't see any golden egg that's laid. I don't, I don't see anything that comes from a golden goose. I don't, I'm not seeing how this does anything that helps another human being or I don't know. I don't, I don't see any good that comes from this prompting, even if it was a real prompting. Well, there's no good for it and only bad can come from it because now God is being portrayed as a supernatural, superhuman, omnipotent being who is more concerned with Russell Nelson's schedule than he is with the health and welfare of the members of the church. So he's just going to whisper to Russell, you might want to cancel your meetings, you know, and everything, but he's not going to tell Russell Nelson why. So that Russell Nelson could turn around and maybe, you know, clue us in yeah. on the secret. Let us maybe be prepared. Yeah. And and who does Russell Nelson not tell? He doesn't well, tell Wendy. He didn't even tell Wendy. She doesn't find out till she opens up Google calendar and everything on there a month earlier is gone. And so now she's going like, um, what happened here? Well, well, I felt a prompting to cancel everything. And now oh, it's a profit in the land. <laughs> yeah, it's a profit in the land, man. And, and, and that's the other thing. There's so many things about this. She frames this whole thing as a, as a coincidence, right? She frames the story as a coincidence and turns around saying, this shows he's a prophet because there's a coincidence. That's the best you can get out of her story. It's a coincidence. I didn't feel like going. You know, I'm 96 years old, Wendy. I know you're a spring chicken and everything, but I get tired and I just want to take some time off. And then COVID hits and wow, he's a prophet. And, and if this is what a prophet does, a prophet gets a prompting not knowing why, because he already admitted he had no clue. Mm -hmm. if, a prompt, if a prophet gets a prompting to cancel engagements while, while one of the most serious calamities that has struck planet Earth in the last 80, 90, 100 years is about to happen and he doesn't have a clue that that's going to occur then i'm going to ask you rpm like what use is a prophet <laughs> i don't know because we used to quote uh, amos eight twelve. i think it was all the time for god doeth nothing surely the lord god doeth nothing but he revealeth the secret unto the servants his servants the prophets he doesn't even tell us secrets to the prophet he doesn't i mean he sure did this huge COVID thing that's a big thing that he did that which was a secret which apparently he kept from his prophet this is a bullshit story that makes no sense even if it was true and and it's bullshit it's not true like the evidence in the story again just like when you and i listened to that story about the ensign on the boat when we listen to the elder holland missionary story when we listen to elder holland talk about how many stakes were being created 
when we watched Elder Holland, I'm sorry, there's a lot of Elder Hollands here. When we watched Elder Holland answer the BBC guy, like you're, you just go like, um, I think he's lying. I think he's a lie. Where he got told, like the morning this thing went out, I sent it to you and said, um, I think she's lying. The story doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. But this is Mormonism. This is for the believers who are watching Mormonism live. We're grateful you're here. But be honest, you have to admit these stories just aren't that miraculous. And they certainly have a lot of things that don't add up. No, in this story, sorry. And this story is interesting because it's actually worse if it's true. Yeah, because it makes God into really just a careless asshole who is only worried about saving some, you know, some vouchers for air travel or something. I don't. This is what's on the top of his to-do list, the God of the universe. Now, here's the other thing. If everybody could start lining up on the phones, because we want to conclude with this last clip. It's a very brief one from the same interview that Wendy Nelson did with Sherry Dew. And this is... Um, hey, let me ask you one more thing, Yes, RFM. If, if God doesn't whisper into Rusty Nelson's ear that these events need to be canceled, what's going to happen in March anyway? These uh, are, they're going to get canceled. They're going to get canceled anyway. Yeah. Like if if he doesn't cancel them in January, he sure as hell is going to cancel them in, in March. And on top of that, with COVID already having started, the chance of actually getting your deposit back is probably significantly higher, wouldn't you say? Yes. Good point. <laughs> so actually, by being Johnny ahead of the spot and canceling before COVID was announced, he gave up and forfeited the thousands and thousands and thousands, I'm probably talking tens of thousands of dollars in deposits on these big arenas. Whereas if he'd waited till COVID hit, then he could have gotten the deposits back maybe easier because COVID. He would have at least had a justifiable reason for calling and canceling. And he wouldn't have been the only person canceling. And there, it would have been heartless of these institutions that own these arenas to not work with. Uh, these giant groups in the middle of a pandemic, but he gets the prompting before the pandemic and gets these things cleared out of the way in January. Yes. It's almost as if, if this story is true, the 130 billion in the, in the account really doesn't matter. They've got lots of change to throw at these kinds of things. They do. And this is once again, a story is why it is that most or many world religions have a trickster God in the pantheon. Yeah. And so does Mormonism. Huh? Can you play this last quote from, because this one, this one absolutely floored me. From Wendy Nelson, it's the end of the interview. It's 29.10 to 29.24 in that same interview. And just listen to this, because this is what she's learned in the last three years. This floors me. It's 14 okay. seconds of amazement. Uh, which one is this? This is the third same interview. Uh, I got, no, I don't think this is it. So let me see here. Okay. Um, I've got, which which numbered clip is this? It says second Wendy clip. First yeah, Wendy. that's the one. Second Wendy clip. Mm-hmm. Timestamp 614 to 837. That's what we just played. So what we want is 2910 in that we same clip. 2910 in that talk. Okay. Yeah. Listen to what she's learned because this is amazing. I, I would never have thought she would have learned this, but apparently she has. Let me. It's going to take me a second to get there. Okay. Just 2910. You can start a little bit early if you want. You know, it goes on. He is serious. Let me try to turn this up, though. Letting God prevail in his life and in the life of Whoa. the world. That's too loud? Wendy's killing me here. The world to prepare for the second coming of the Savior. What do you know today that you didn't know three years ago? 
Well, I know that prayer works, and I know that fasting works, and I know that praying and fasting with others, for others, brings miracles. I've certainly learned that. Boom. I've That's it. Fasting works? Or and prayer works. And especially praying and fasting with others brings miracles. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that she's learned this because uh, me looking at what's been happening in the last three years, particularly about a year ago at this time, I was learning a different lesson. How about you, Bill? I was learning that in the midst of doing one fast to push a pandemic off, that the pandemic got worse. Hmm. So then we did a second fast. And this got everyone in the world was united. There were people that were non-members who were joining in the fast and joining in the prayers to push the pandemic off. And that one didn't work either. Pandemic got worse. Even the Ewoks were joining in that fast. They were dancing around the little fire and going jub, 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 jub. It was, it was a universal fast. Yeah. So what I think I learned is that the magical fictional priesthood powers of Mormonism as applied through prayer and fasting, don't do shit. <laughs> no, I mean, I learned the exact opposite of what she's saying. She's saying, I learned that prayer works and fasting works, and especially praying and fasting with others brings miracles. And what I've seen is it doesn't do anything. Well, people answer phones and they smile. Lots and, of smiling going on. And countless hours are spent, right? Countless hours and countless hours. Yeah, so those are the miracles today, folks. Uh, welcome to the modern world of Mormonism. They recognize, notice, notice, he said sternly, they recognize that they are supposed to have miracles. Otherwise, we wouldn't have these lame stories. They know they're supposed to have miracles. And so they're going to give you miracles. They're going to give you coincidences and they're going to try and make them as good as they can. And it's not great, but they're going to try the best they can. And then they're going to call these coincidences miracles over and over again and hope that you won't notice the difference. Yeah, in fact, I'll share eight quotes of non-miracles and then testify of all the miracles that happened. This is the Mormonism of 2021. There's no magic left. The take it. I, uh, I don't even know what to do with Mormonism now. It's gone. It may not be completely dead, but it's definitely on life support. Yeah, so now let's open up the phone lines. You've got the phone number there. If you tried calling, try calling back right now. I just pulled the uh, Google Voice up. It is uh, 435-200-3478. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, I'd love love to have you guys come on. So um, RFM, here's what they're learning though. And we'll wait for a call. We've actually got one coming through right now. Um, So let me me pick that up. But uh, let me just say, Mm -hmm. um, there's this idea that if they tell fictional stories, we're now going to hold them accountable. If they tell um, stories that really don't have any miracles at all, we're going to hold them accountable. And, and so there really isn't any chance left to pretend um, that there are miracles because there really isn't a game plan left to share anything. You are, you're on the air. You are call number one. I'm hoping this comes through. Uh, you are Mormonism Live. Hello. 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 Yeah, go ahead. You're on Mormonism Live. Oh, okay. Um, I kind of have a, a different take. I could tell, you know, um, sounds like you guys really are buying the whole COVID as a pandemic. I, I do agree that there's a, a harsh flu out there, but I don't think it's a, a worldwide pandemic in the sense of, well, since the CDC has never isolated it, um, it's more like a biological weapon in the way it's being used, in my view. 
Um, but I do, I do have, a, I do, I did have a problem with um, the president um, coming out on the nineteenth, uh, getting the vaccinations. Yeah. So President and, Nelson and, getting and, vaccinations. Yeah. Right? Okay. And encouraging the members of the church to do so, and he's a heart surgeon, and he should know that this has not been vetted, this has not been tested, this is very dangerous, and there is a, a substance in there called luciferase. I mean, you can't get more demonic than that. Right now, my okay, my okay. Is, Can you hear me, caller? Was it was it was it a sorry? One one last point. I'll listen off air. All right, really quick. quick. Okay. One, the, the, my point is is. Did he get a call from the New World Order and said, "Our guy's in. Biden's in. We're bringing the we're bringing in the New World Order. You're good to go." Uh, that's what it seems like to me. Yeah. Anyways, I'll, I'll take your guys' response. So, off. Sounds off, good. Off. I think it was not only the the New World Order, but the Illuminati. It's like the Justice League of Evil that are getting together to cause all this to happen. But Bill, yeah, I actually wanted it's not. I wanted to. He was the guinea pig, right? He was the first one. I was going to see if he could actually hear my voice. Yeah, we'll have to do it on another one. So if another caller wants to call in. No more, no more Illuminati calls, please. Yeah, I don't want conspiracy theories. If, if you don't believe that there's a pandemic going on, I, that's fine. Yeah, you get to write to that opinion. I just, I, I'm just not going to give that a whole lot of airtime here. We're going to move on quickly from something. Yes, like this is show is not called Pandemic Live. No, uh, who's the guy? Art Bell, right? Mm-hmm. Coast to coast with Art Bell. What is that? That's that's me. That's the phone call me taking. I still got to figure out a way to be able to mute it while we you and I talk because I can only hear you through the computer, so I can't mute everything. Uh, who am I talking to? <laughs> Hi, I'm my name's Adrian. Adrian, you are on Adrian RFM and Bill Real, and I'm hoping <laughs> you believe there's a real pandemic out there. It is interesting to me because it. I think what this just shows to me is that the, the indoctrination really matters. That everybody is leaving and. I wouldn't have given one crap about the fact that this didn't happen when I was a member. doesn't matter because you're not looking for that kind of thing. And they, they don't have to try very hard to make their stories line up. You know, they don't, they're not trying to, to tell us whether or not they're not really trying to prove that there are miracles. These people already no, believe there's miracles. They're, all they're doing is just trying to keep it up. You know? Yeah. They're, they're essentially making the argument that, the bar is really low in 2021, and of course right. we're talking about 2020. The, the miracles aren't here. By the way, RFM, do you want to just say anything and just see if she can hear you? I do. They're raising the bar for the missionaries, but lowering the bar for the miracles. Adrian, can you hear I me? Hear I gotcha. Can you hear me? Yes. Wunderbar. Adrian, I did it. Adrian. <laughs> you did it. You're the first one who to have ever said that joke to me. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> thank you for the phone call no problem have a good one you too thank you hey by the way something else about uh wendy if you go back and listen to her little account of that story about the canceled schedule remember how she said if all through that 2016 talk no listen carefully go back and listen to it you don't have to play it again right notice that she says imagine twice imagine she says imagine this at the beginning of the story and then in the middle she goes so imagine i think she's playing the same game you need an imagination, don't you, to to see miracles in uh, in this day. Call from Matt. All is right, this a call from Matt. Yeah, this is a call from Matt. Matt, that's a miracle. I knew that. It is, and you know what? I answered the phone, RFM. I picked it up and I answered it, 
It's a, it's a, you were there. It's a miracle. And I spent has a miracle to write in the story to give to Elder Bednar for his next doc. And I've spent countless hours preparing this conversation with you (laughs) and, and you and I are both smiling. So look at that. You're on Mormonism live. What do you have for us tonight? Hey guys, thank you so much for, for everything. Uh, both of you, I've listened to almost every one of you guys' podcasts, uh, especially the ones that helped me out with, uh, RFM. I can't thank you guys enough. Um, the November, November 15 policy ones were, were earth shattering to say the least. Um, on one of the questions I'm noticing, I'm trying to figure out if it's just me or is it a situation that's happening more often is Wendy more involved in doing more speeches as the prophet's wife than previous prophet's wives. I don't recall them being as involved and doing speeches and everything else to include, um, some of her talks that are rather disturbing, uh, prosperity gospel, things of that nature where she, her talks are really interesting. I don't see, I've never seen, I just don't recall seeing the president's wife more involved as there, or at least disinvolved. Yeah. And, and it should be noted by the way, she is a professional therapist by trade. She should be the healthiest person in the room in terms of the views that she shares. And instead, if I'm, it, it, is she the one who wrote the not even once club? Yep. So it's a book where the, to be part of the club, you can't swear even once. If you ever swore you're out of the club. It's a children's book written for children about a children's club. And, and the whole idea is there's no room for repentance. The moment you make a mistake, you're out of here. Done. You're out. You're out of the club. There's yeah. no forgiveness, no letting you back in the not even once club, which is the exact opposite of a healthy view. It's like watching beauty and the beast and not picking up on the Stockholm syndrome that's going on when Wendy talks, unhealthy stuff is coming out in spite of the fact that she served as a therapist. You're right. I will say it's a, it's a good um, observation that um, the prior caller, I'm sorry, was that Matt? Mm-hmm. Right. I remembered. <laughs> um, Matt makes is that, no, I think that if you took basically all the talks that all the prior wives of presidents have given, you get, you come up with some a number around zero. Yeah, I think because no, they don't. And she is, she's actually, you know, um, on, on the positive side, she's, she's a much more powerful figure as the wife of the president than any prior wives have been. So she's a, a powerful woman in that way. And I want to applaud that much. Um, I, the thing that concerns me is what comes out of her mouth when she's being powerful. Yeah, no. And and I do agree with the caller, as you're pointing out too, she is saying as much as anybody. I don't remember Marjorie Hinckley saying this kind of stuff in terms of the volume of talks. No, did she ever say anything? I don't recall ever hearing her. Very, very little, if anything. Um, President Monson's wife, I don't even know what she looked like. Hardly. Yeah. You see her walk out of conference center with, with President Monson once or twice. and that's about She could her. wiggle her ears, though, if you asked her. Some, Yeah, so, <laughs> there you go. Uh, who are we talking to? Hello? Hi. Hello? Yeah, Hello? your name? Your name? Hello? Yeah, your name? My name is Jean. Jean, you are on Mormonism Live with RFM hey, and Bill Real. exciting. I love you guys. We love you too, Jean. What do you got for okay. us? My friend, and, my friend from Canada and I are listening to this together. Her name's Evelyn. And we both said, did anybody, did, was anybody even offended or notated that Russell would just go in and erase all these things with, from her? from her own personal uh, schedule thing and not even tell her. He just erased it, right? 
Yeah. He just thought he had the, the priesthood holder can just go in and erase all her things and not even tell her. Is that really what happened? Gene, this past week, I was accused of being a misogynist, but I can tell you this much. That sounds like misogyny right there, my friend. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And Dale, I hope you're a misogynist because I've got this tight spot over here in my shoulder and I was hoping you work on it after the show. A misogynist. I love it. Thanks. These are the jokes. Gene, Gene, no, you're absolutely right that the way that this story is portrayed by Wendy Nelson is like she is going to be the last person to know. I mean, when would she have found out? When she showed up at the airport, right? Yeah, when she shows up at the air, she goes to the stadium and finds it shut down and then says, what's going on? I thought we had a big meeting here. And they said, no, your husband canceled it months ago. Didn't he tell you? Huge arenas. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Gene. appreciate the phone call. And I thank you Thanks, for pointing guys. that out. I love you guys. Love you too. Oh, man. thank you so much. Okay. Have an awesome day. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Let's take one more. Let's do that. Let's take one more and we'll call it a night. If nobody else wants to call here in the next, say, 30 seconds, we'll just call it a night anyway. So it's your last chance. If you if you felt the burning in the bosom, your hair was standing up on the back of your neck, you got the tingling running down the arm, pick up your telephone. There it is. 1-800-200-FIST. I've got the dirt one still up there. It's a miracle. William. Who am I talking to? Hi, this is William. William, good, strong name. I love that name, sir. William, you are the final caller on Mormonism <laughs> Live. You are talking to Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Wow, such an honor. Hey, I, my thing is, is if Russell and Nelson knew about this, what about the poor missionaries? Like, I'm seeing the guys in my area, and I'm down in Phoenix, and it's crazy what these guys are trying to do just to survive. If her calendar was cleared, why weren't the missionaries taken home? Yeah. Like I remember living in some crap hole apartments and I would have hated to have lived a year in there trying to do missionary work from a telephone. Yeah. You, like this just, that's just nuts. And the, you know, it's the whole missionary thing is a total debacle. Them not pulling them out and et cetera, et cetera. It's just nuts. There's no doubt they were caught off guard with the missionaries being out in the field. If Heavenly Father or Jesus Christ was going to whisper into President Rusty Nelson's ear and tell him to do anything, it would have been to pull those missionaries home before air travel began to be restricted. Instead, huge arena bookings were canceled, my friend. That's such a good point that William more, more makes. important that he's safe than the missionaries. Yeah, it's much more important that he's safe. And really, is he any less safe if he waits until March to cancel the bookings? Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. It's the missionaries who are hung out to dry. That's a great point, yeah. William. And, you know, it's easy to forget. And I don't remember all the details, but you correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. Weren't there like hordes of missionaries that were trapped overseas in their missions and they couldn't get flights back? And they're like in Italy or places where there's uh, huge death tolls mounting up. And it was very, very difficult. There were numerous parents who were on the phone with church headquarters trying to get their kids home. And it was delayed days and weeks, and in some cases, even months before those kids could come home. And all of that could have been avoided if President Nelson had just said, hey, let's get all the missionaries home. I got a feeling that maybe they should come home for a while. Instead, bookings were canceled. Yes. Bookings were canceled. Hearts were warmed. <laughs> Prayers were answered. Miracles yeah. were felt. Smiles were given and countless hours were served. <laughs> so there you have it. The miracle state status of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 2020, 2021. Um, 
Anything else, RFM? I'm I'm ready to call it a night. I I'm gonna go home and eat a homemade. My my son is gonna do some kind of maple glazed, uh, jalapeno glazed bacon for BLT sandwiches, and I'm excited to get back to the house to eat those. Uh, anything else? Because I don't think there's any single miracle in the hour and a half that we've talked. Um, no, that sounds sticky. I tell you, I just want you to make sure you wash your hands off before you come over to my place and give me some misogynist therapy. Wash your hands often. And and by the way, don't don't forget our biggest fan, President Boyd K. Packer. Mormonism live. Better than touching your own little factory. <laughs> <laughs>